Welcome to Art Grind, and here we have um, Miles Yoshida. Yoshida? Am I, am I, am I mispronouncing no, right. your name? Uh, and he is one of like the most talented young artists uh, I've ever met. Um, that um, you guys might never have heard of because I, I feel like like he lives under a rock. Um, so we dragged him out, dra dragged him up from under the rock. Uh, you know. <laughs> dragged him to because we're recording at the Art Students yes, League. Yes, um, forced the, him to forced him to go to the Art, the Art Students League, yeah. and now we're going to pick his brain. So Miles, thank you so much for coming. Welcome, Miles. Welcome. It's a pleasure Thanks to be here. Thanks for coming. I've actually never been in this building, and isn't this uh -huh. where Robert Beverly Hale used to give his famous anatomy for sure. lectures? Yeah. yeah. Thomas Aiken, George O'Keefe, Rothko, Robert Beverly Hale, Norman Rockwell, anyone you can mention in American art has gone here or taught here. It's yeah. unbelievable. Like, the list is enormous. Yeah, I really rich that. history I've been told. I just never yeah. made it out here, so I'm glad to be here with you guys right now. It's perfect. We're so happy to have you. So we were talking before about surviving as an artist and we have something in common. You did Manny work. Mm -hmm. I always called it Manny work. <laughs> you did that. Uh, tell, was this during art school or? No, this was after. Because um, I had worked for artists after uh, my graduate program. I went through like a few. Like I went to the Coon Studio, which a lot of Academy people do. Oh, you and did? That, yeah, that's... When, when were you there? Uh, 2010 to 2012. Okay. I would know and a lot. I, would, I guess we would all know a lot of people. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they have a pretty high turnover rate. Uh -huh. um, Were you part of that wave that just got kicked out? No, because I was in the sculpture department. I think ah, okay. every time there was a, an issue, Jeff tended to can the painters. Mm. Um, so they kind of there's so many of them. Because there were so many of them. Because painters are so replaceable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, I, it wasn't for me. I went through a few other artists, and they would probably not have the best things to say about me, honestly. It wasn't, I wasn't good working for other people. Um, huh. And I just found that, uh, you know, I was looking for work, and a neighbor of mine was telling me that she has a friend who's a dancer, and he was the previous Manny, Nanny, whatever you want to call it, and he was looking to kind of go on tour and needed a replacement, so I kind of fell into it. But it was really wonderful. I didn't know... That I liked kids, you know. So uh, it was great to. It was three boys and. Whoa, three. Three boys, yeah. I always but, had one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it was fun with multiple because I loved playing Legos as a kid. I loved Star Wars. I loved all that stuff that oh, you man. know most American, typical American boys would like. Uh huh. Um, That's and, funny because uh, when I was at Dina's last time and her kid was trying to figure out how to launch the uh, go kart. What, what was it? The uh, speed racer or. Oh, is it one of these where you like zip it? Yeah, yeah, like the a... zip car. Yeah. Oh, that's an old school tool. Yeah, it has, it has like a plastic thread through yes. it, and you pull it, and then the and wheels. And he was missing the little band, and I had to use her hair band to make it work. Like, oh, uh, see, that I got really into it. <laughs> that's another thing I found about being a nanny was that yeah. you're constantly like fixing their toys, which yeah. I didn't realize was gonna be part of the job. It's fun. But yeah, it was great because they were always like blown away if I like fixed a toy that was broken for years and. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they, I didn't realize that you really do make an impression on, on the younger people. and So it was really rewarding for a lot of ways, and the family was a, a wonderful British family. So they all had their like British 
mannerisms in their charm. Yeah, <laughs> definite tea time, no whinging, you know, like stuff like yeah, that. Crumpets. crumpets. They had, yeah. they had stuff like that. And they would eat that like Vegemite. I mean, that's oh, Australian, yeah, but um, that's I forget what the stuff. other stuff is called. But They say you have to be raised. Yeah, they would just spread it on. Oh, It's Marmite. Marmite. Something. It's disgusting unless you grew up there. Yeah. Yeah, I gave it a go, and you know. <laughs> so how, were you? Were because when I started, I hadn't cooked a thing in my life, and all of a sudden, like, came like raw chicken and shit, just like, <laughs> oh, no one gets sick, literally. Yeah. And and how how are you with that stuff? Well, it was awesome because they had this professional kitchen. You know, the dad works for Goldman Sachs. He's like really well off, and so they had all these ovens and big stove ranges with you know a faucet right over the stove range. Uh-huh. Um, so it was a lot of fun to cook and my first week I, I like made them, you know, this nice roast chicken and then these sauteed vegetables with herbs and all these spices and stuff and they didn't eat it. (laughs) And I was like, why am I trying to like make a two star meal here? And then I found out really quickly, it's just like chicken tenders, green peas, you know, mac and cheese, sausages, whatever. Mac and cheese all the way, man. But it's all organic, you know, it's all organic. Oh, they they eat green, I I swear they just put like organic organic label on on chicken nuggets so parents feel less guilty. Oh, yeah. Even though it's a deep fried in, you know, oil and whatever. We may be a little different. A nine-year-old's taste buds are literally exactly like mine. So they're just like in heaven. It's like, oh, yeah. Pizza, chicken tenders, what do you want? Let's do it. It is good. I would like make extra all the time so I could like feed myself. So I feel like we kind of got into this, this nanny manny thing and uh, usually we start off by asking people like where they come from and what their family is yeah, like. Do, 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 do you want to try to backtrack a little yeah, bit sure. to see how yeah. he ended up being a nanny? Yeah. Um, where, and actually where, how he ended up yeah, being shoot, an artist. Whatever you want to ask. Yeah. Just ask. <laughs> Where, so where did you, where were you born? How, you know, siblings will ask all that. Where did you, where did oh, you Oh, the from? basics. Of, yeah. I'm from the West Coast originally from um, Long Beach in Los Angeles County. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, grew up with just one brother. He was a few years, I had a half brother too, who's quite a bit older than me, but um, grew up in kind of an artistic family. My okay. brother, I always tell people, um, you know, they'd say, oh, your drawings are so nice, da 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 and I, in the back of my head, I'd always be like, God, you, you guys like have no idea how good my brother was when we were kids. He was really? like, yeah, he got the talent. Def- if, you can, if you can claim that there's like yeah, no, inbuilt yeah. talent in genetics, yeah, no, feel, he definitely got it. I feel the same, same way about my sister. Like she was actually always really? the one painting. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was always the one painting. I uh, never, I mean, I wonderful. was like collecting, yeah, oh. I was like collecting bugs. Uh, that was my thing, and like making long lists of like animals to to you know that were going extinct. She was the one who was like oil painting. She was yeah. the one. Dry, she was like the art kid. But all your miniatures, though, I mean, it like it it, it makes sense to me if you were dealing with such little micro worlds, with bugs? little. I mean, things I, I, I didn't pick up a paintbrush till I was like eighteen. <laughs> so so, so oh, tell us about your brother. Elaborate on that. Yeah, That's uh, really interesting. I don't think we've had someone on the pod. Well, besides Nina, say something like that. So. Were you competitive with him? Did he inspire you? I think or? I think if you're you know a younger sibling, at least some, for a lot of I saw in the kids that I nannied that the younger one always wants to be doing what the older one's doing, and yeah. uh-huh. I wouldn't call it like living in a shadow because it kind of has a pejorative connotation to it. But it's more like constant inspiration and ambition to match yeah your older okay. sibling. Um, but. Like I said, the our house was like a pretty artistic one. My dad got his master's in sculpture, and oh, my wow. mom, when I was a really young kid, she was going back to school um, for artwork. 
so there was always stuff in the house and my dad he put us in a, in a he spent all the money that he made to put us in a prep school so that we didn't have to do the type of work he did and mm. so he kind of tried to deflect the arts a little bit like he saw that it was a really difficult a path hard road, to, right? yeah, yeah really hard road and he used to talk about it all the time because the school that I went to they want you to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer or something mm-hmm. like that but my mom the whole time would like you know repaint the room but she would paint around the crayon drawings that my brother had done on the wall or she would save like all her sketches um, oh that's great yeah so she it was it was very much yin and yang in that sense kind of um, a mix of hyper encouragement and then mild discouragement like, yeah Look, this is hard i mean because like what what yeah. parents really want their kid to become an artist i mean like <laughs> what, a, what a terrible thing to want for your child <laughs> yeah it's yeah, right Seriously. I think they're worried well you know? if you have it's, a trust fund for them then there you go whatever they want but you, you you were sort of middle class or, or... yeah like I, I guess but looking back i i wouldn't it was like middle class on paper but the expenses to go to the school really put us like what is it in the red is yeah. that when you're not doing well in the yeah red? yeah in the red so um because my parents used to argue quite a bit when i was a kid and it was always about money so uh-huh. i knew that there was a huge difference between my family and the kids i went to school with because they were all mm-hmm. driving bmws and mercedes and their houses were estates uh-huh. and you know and i lived in a pretty modest like just sub suburb one-story house in long beach so it, it was like living two lives simultaneously because at this school 25 miles away it was a completely different world um, mm-hmm. again there the arts weren't really pushed very much um, in fact when the arts program when the building burned down at my high school uh, they just put the rest of whatever they could salvage in trailers and like for the rest of my high school we had studio time in a trailer oh really yeah despite that i mean like the average income for these families was a few million a year at least they're just like who needs the art yeah you know that part's crazy because uh says all right one of the studio buildings uh in my college also burnt down spontaneously combusted and (laughs) they also is one of the is the welding building and they 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 had them go figure (laughs) like i think it was a gas leak but like (laughs) i mean it just burned to the ground and um, and yeah, they they had a trailer up that lasted for like a few years. Yeah. But well, I always yeah. Trailer. But I felt like that was because uh, that was because they didn't have any money. Whereas it seems like your school did have a lot of money. They yeah, just felt like it did. wasn't worth it. Yeah, because <laughs> they were always building like a new um, performing arts center or like getting new computers stuff like that. But to to go back, yeah, I mean, my experience was actually kind of in hindsight pretty tough. I didn't realize that my dad was usually riding the fence of bankruptcy most most years because he was a roofing contractor. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so, as we all know, California, Southern California was going through a pretty, um, like, extraordinary drought for most of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'd have a little bit of rain, and so work would be good for one year, but the next year would be bad. And, um, like, I remember one time my dad took me to Disneyland, and it was out of the blue. It was one day, like on a school day, he said, "You're not going to school. We're going to go to Disneyland together." And I was on top of the world about that. I didn't find out until like 15 years later that he had spent the last of the money that he had on just taking me to Disneyland. Wow. And my parents wow. gotten like this big blowout over it because he was supposed to buy groceries and stuff like that. But instead, wow. he was like, "I guess, I guess for him, knowing him, he probably." just didn't know what else to do and was like, well, we might as well just enjoy ourselves if we're going to sink. So, yeah, totally. like, I mean, that, that was kind of my upbringing was, you know, the, I was shielded from a lot of 
Like it sounds like wow, there was, yeah, it sounds like there was like love, yeah, a lot yeah. of love there. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I hope because so. Because that's yeah. what you do when you love your child. Like you do, you know, you don't want them to know there's money troubles. You take yeah. them to Disneyland and shield them from the huge fight you have with your husband or wife. Yeah, and he sacrificed yeah. a lot to get you in that school. Like it sounds like a really pretty heroic. Definitely, guy. I know it's it's pretty amazing, and that's why actually I'd hate to admit it, but sometimes I do feel like maybe I took the wrong path, and that I should have pursued a career or education in engineering or something like that because I know I enjoy making things and uh-huh. I, I just enjoy kind of problem solving a lot in a lot of sculpture you have a lot of uh, problem solving issues that have to be addressed right but you know my brother always says you can't connect the dots yet until you know you're kind of like further in the future you can really see what the web of all your experiences has culminated but I think into. So. Mm-hmm. Even without a like supportive background, like you had, sort of a, you know, with all the intense things your dad went through, I think all artists question: Did they make the right move? Yeah, because just so. security's not out there. Yeah, you know, uh, I question I it all. I don't the know. Time. Do, do do we really though? Like, I do. You guys, I, I I never question it. Really? Yeah. You're lucky. Yeah, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, um, it's because I'm completely useless at everything else. I mean, what, what, like, like, uh, um, yeah, but you know, entomology is also not that lucrative. You're questioning Uh, that the whole time. I I, I like to read. You know, where's that reading job? Like, you know, the job where I just get to read fiction all the time. Oh yeah. Like, I I like to bicycle. I I could be a bike messenger, maybe. I mean, like, I feel like everything else I, I like and kind of enjoy or value is even less like lucrative and like even what even less that's a good, okay. than art. You know? I can take that point. Like, what well, would you what would you guys remember. be what would you guys be doing? I mean you'd be an engineer. What would you be doing like Marshall? Uh, I mean jewelry is a lot more secure, you know? Uh, I don't know. I mean it's not that my life isn't secure right now in art, but it's always just like Oh my god, like this is such a harebrained thing to do. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I feel like it's the only thing I don't question actually. I mean like That's like interesting. a like, like I question a lot of the other choices I've made in my life, but that, uh-huh. like I mean I don't question having kids. Kids are great and I don't question painting. Everything else is like up for grabs. Everything else well, is like, maybe. oh god, if I took that turn and not this turn, then like I, I don't know, maybe I'd be, I don't know, maybe I'd, I'd be like a more useful person. Maybe I'd be a better one. <laughs> maybe I could have like done some good in the world. And then, <laughs> no, I yeah. like that that the, that you like see both sides of it, kind of, because um, you you can't. You said you're the pessimist, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I'm group. the pessimist. I'm typically a pessimist, but every once in a while I get like a little optimism in there. Uh huh. Because um, usually I'm like brooding about why did I do art like like yeah there's security's tough you know same could be said for an entrepreneur in business they don't necessarily have a safety net like anybody that's right. kind of going out and pursuing something that they love um it's really up to your own blood and sweat and tears or whatever they say but, about but sometimes, that and, but, but you, you know what does scare me though is that sometimes it's just about like blind like a lot of it like I'm like I'm not a believer in inspiration I'm a believer in like you know, the grind, just uh-huh. doing the same thing every day. What kind of scares me is it's like, what if a lot of it is about just like dumb luck, like being at the in, at the right place, at the right, I don't know, opening at the right time to talk to the right person. It won't change the way you make art or like it won't change your art, but it'll totally change the possibilities of like who your art is, expo- like, it, like mm-hmm. it'll change the business part of your life. Well, and what if you, and, and what if like, like the only thing that you did wrong is like not being at that magical opening that you know someone else we're in a field that's not a meritocracy like 
there's it's as scattered who gets what in that way of security we're not being jealous or anything here but we're just talking about security like you i've seen some of the most talented people in my life not get any security and the most remarkably untalented get a lot of security in every variable in between yeah you know so it's like it's literally like a roulette it's, no, it's definitely a spectrum there's no like mathematical graph of uh-huh. like hard work talent meaning oh, you know a more. times b or whatever makes so success. imagine miles the engineer right and you're having similar issues and there's miles the artist you know you guys both meet and miles the engineer is gets fired because the company's downsizing. Because he's late all the time. Yeah, <laughs> because he's sketchy. <laughs> but the artist is still going to be happier. I, I like I, to imagine I the artist is... I mean, the engineer well, might I'm, be happy, but might kind of regret. Like I, I, like, I don't know if you guys have ever read this kid's book, so you guys were you know, both nannies. You might have actually read mm-hmm. like a, the Golden Compass series. I never read that. You know, they're really great. Like, no. like as adults, like, like it's even better than, than if you're kids. But a lot of it has to do with kind of like, like multiple universes mm-hmm. and kind of like the quantum. See, I, I mean, I don't understand anything about quantum anything. Um, but basically, each time, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like each time you make a decision, like there's a million worlds that are like right by the world that you're in. That because of that decision disappear. So like, it was a minute that you decided to become you know, like Miles the artist, mm-hmm. like, you know, Miles the engineer, Miles the bio, the biophysicist, Miles the like, I don't know, nuclear chemist or whatever, Jeez. like, like all of those universes, <laughs> awesome. like, yeah, like all of those universes just like vanished. And so like, I never regret like becoming an artist. Yeah, yeah, like, like the universe, like, like the universe. They're existing be, somewhere. You just yeah, don't yeah, have yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they exist somewhere, but you chose this one. In black and then, holes. Yeah, and then the next choice you make, like, I, I don't know, like, let's say, I, I don't know, like, you have a girlfriend that you're very happy with, or a wife you're very happy mm-hmm. with, but like Miles, the guy that was, you know, Miles the playboy, Miles the loner, Miles, you know, the married guy with five kids, like they all, they all kind of like, you know, like, like, like each universe. Uh, each universe you choose, each choice you make, makes all the other collapses every other choice. So like like for me, I never regret the choice, you know, like to become an artist. But sometimes I'm like, oh God, that collapsed universe of like, what if I? No, you just murdered like a billion yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Just made a decision. Yeah. Just like, all these data's died. Yeah. 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 That's uh, quantum physics uh, in a nutshell. Is it no one? Is it, is it none of, is it none of us? Millions of. <laughs> so Dina. Miles, what else would you have been like if if art wasn't? So I mean, I know you talk about your brother being the talent, but I think you're extraordinarily talented, and I can't. Imagine. What, what School's are, out. Also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, actually, what um, before you answer that question, what happened to your brother? Oh, he um. He was kind of funny because he was so gifted and so prodigious at a young age that he was able to kind of move through the various modes of artwork very quickly. Um, like even by the time we were in high school, uh, representational work was like clearly very boring to him. So he wow. he moved very very rapidly, and in college he was dealing with mostly conceptual work, and then wanted to be a writer, and loved film and cinema and storytelling. So he you know, I think he found his love was more in narrative, but um, then he got married and had a kid and was needing to pay bills, so he became a roofing contractor just like my oh, dad. Wow. But my, my wow. brother's actually quite successful, so 
he's um, doing really well with that and, and quite happy. So one day when he's able to retire, I'm sure he'll revisit you know, the passions of his youth in terms of art uh-huh. in whatever form that is. Um, would, that, would that life, because I think I've said this on the podcast, I see people with old jobs I've had before, mm-hmm. like Starbucks barista, or if I'm at a jewelry shop and see someone working on jewelry, I always remember that feeling of just going in, doing a job, getting a pay, and I loved it, and I'm always jealous of that, you know what I'm saying? Just mm-hmm. seeing people work. Like, would, would If that happened to you, if you're like, okay, I'm gonna do roofing, would you feel a loss to that, to your art, or would you be like, this feels more secure? Well, I guess it it kind of what your question t- kind of ties into what you were saying ton about like if the one you know the the one universe met the other and it's like you had a discussion about who's happier let's say right. if if there's a way to quantify that but mm-hmm. I would say that having maybe I'm going on a tangent but just having like your own free time because I usually live like a dog in many ways, right? I don't have a lot of money. I don't get to do a lot of things that I want to be doing, but I do have a lot of free time to myself that mm-hmm. um, I've realized is quite valuable to me. Mm. So even though I talk about, you know, oh, I wish maybe I'd done something else, I'm a huge flip-flopper because there will be times where I'm like, you know, I didn't go to work today. I'm doing artwork and I'm still scraping by. Someone else did all the right things and they're fired or their career went, you know, turned a corner and didn't go well or they fell ill or something, something out of their control. And it's like, they did everything they could uh, to compromise. And even in that compromise, they failed. Whereas, but I mean, or even if they did everything they could to compromise and they go to a job that they're totally unhappy with, that they spend 12 hours a day in, and then they're too tired when they get home to do anything. I feel like that's almost even worse. Yeah, I mean, so... They, I, they succeeded. See, compromise. now maybe like, my yeah. mind is flipping again <laughs> as we talk, you know, oh, so um, just see, verbalizing. I see what you're saying, Dina. That's interesting, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, yeah, just just about what it is, I guess whatever you value, whatever we value as individuals, it's really, I think, uh, important to fess up to those because sometimes you want to, pretend that you value other things like you mm-hmm. want to value a material possession or mm-hmm. um a bit, you know whatever it may be and it's like your own like who you really are and what you really do appreciate you can't really escape it no matter how you try to to frame it um uh-huh. it's like you do have to like i don't know look yourself in the mirror and so sometimes like I, just to repeat i'll be like ah i'm a poor artist but I went for a walk today. I sat in my underwear for 12 hours or something. <laughs> I got drunk on wine at 3 p.m. and it's like it's okay because I've done the other stuff. You know, I've done the. Yeah, yeah. I did. I I stopped. Um, unfortunately, I stopped making work for about a year now, and I was doing carpentry and landscaping for this company here in the city. So mm. it kind of satisfied my need to to make things because I worked in a wood shop and I went on site for installation and things like that. Nice. But it was very much like. Again, I found myself in the position of working for someone else. They were, you know, making tons and tons of money for the business. I'm making a paycheck, doing a lot of work that's pretty interesting. And um, but still, at the end of the day, I, it's like I can't. I don't think I can just go in for the job to earn uh-huh. the money. Right. Um, like you were saying earlier, that sometimes it's actually there is like a freedom in that. Because mm-hmm. you just go in, it doesn't. The work doesn't follow you home. You go mm-hmm. home and you're tired. And if you have the energy, you do whatever you want. And and the job is there as long as you show up, sort of. Right. Um, right. 
but the more jobs that I've been through, the more I realize like, unfortunately, that's not for me. Like I can't, I can't do it. You know, actually, you tried. Uh, well, I think you you were very successful with the uh, Kickstarter project at, at one oh, point, yeah. right? Yeah, that Tell was us more about that. Well, the Kickstarter was for a, a sculpture that I'd been working on for a few years. Like I started it when I was at the Kuhn Studio, so I was quite oh. a bit younger, and I would like come home from work and I'd work really late at night, and I'd do that all the time for like four years. I worked on this sculpture, and the the expenses, everything would just like bleed me dry. So I was like living hand to mouth just because. I had this big, big sculpture, and once I had like made it, I couldn't just abandon it. You know, um, yeah. there was a lot that went into it, and, and a lot to maintain on top of that. And so I knew that the, the mold was going to be really expensive, just because uh, silicone rubber is extremely expensive, and polyester resin uh, is also extremely expensive. Hmm. So I. I'd been kind of entertaining the idea of doing a Kickstarter to fund it for years because mm -hmm. I would never be able to amass that amount of capital at, at one given time to like execute the mold. So I did the Kickstarter and yeah, it was like kind of blown away that I met my goal like within the first few hours and then, wow. yeah, and then doubled my goal wow. Um, wow. in the subsequent few weeks. Um, but looking back, I, you know, because then people would ask me, they'd be like, oh, how do you do your Kickstarter? And I didn't have like a magic. I had actually, I, I did establish some metrics that you can use to gauge um, statistically, like if you're going to be successful or not, depending on the amount of like emails that you have. And it doesn't matter. But what, what I would tell people is that I didn't realize I was campaigning for years mm -hmm. you know i i'd been telling people about the art sculpture and every time i saw a friend who i hadn't seen in a few months they'd be like oh how's how's anastasia she's my wife um mm -hmm. he'd be like how's anastasia how's uh your job and how's your sculpture those were like always the three <laughs> questions so it was like everyone who knew me knew that this was a, a very literal and metaphorical fixture in my life wow. um yeah so when the time came just to pull the trigger on the kickstarter it like was just easy that's brilliant. Um, so, so Miles, there was this thing I was struck, and I kind of want to go back a little bit to what you were saying about the day job, the landscaping job, mm. and seeing someone, and, and this might come off as blowing a little smoke, but it's all true. Like, you're such a talented person. I think we had Wade on, and he was talking about artist and bitterness, and he also... We said, you're coming on next. And he said, oh, Miles, I remember him. He was a profound talent, was what he said. And so I'm thinking about that. And like when you were doing the landscaping thing or whatever distracts you daily, do you think, I've got this gift and I'm just burning hours out there. Do you feel the weight of that? Or is it, is it, does it occur to you? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Definitely. Uh -huh. Like the last year has been a pretty, uh, like a pretty dark at least artistically, not, not like life. I'm not like, you know, crazy depressed about my life, but in right. terms of my artistic development or productivity, it is like a, like a very big blotch. You know, if, if life were to be a resume, this would be like one of those moments where there's just nothing on the paper. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like, I do think about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't think it's healthy necessarily for me to like brood on it uh -huh. instead I should just like pick up the pen or the brush or whatever or a piece of clay or something and get back to that to that grind yes. people would ask like what is this sculpture going to be for Did I, and I was always embarrassed because I was like oh, I don't know I just like wanted to make it because I had the idea um, in grad school but never had the time or the space to do it 
So it was totally selfish in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, I don't think through a lot of things that I do. Um, so a lot of it, you're right, there was, a, there was a point of wanting fame or recognition or validation. Most often I think we seek validation in its most superficial ways. Mm. But um, you, I mean, it, I, I like that, you, that you're bringing up the point of just kind of being steadfast in, in the work for the sake of the work and for just your personal drive. Like, um, I feel like you're, you've, you've been doing it on your own terms. Like whether you make money, whether whether you don't make money, whether whether you're yeah. landscaping, whether you're drawing, but it's it's very much like your terms and not the terms imposed by kind of like whatever the yeah you know, like what whatever there is as the art world does, which is kind of strive to I don't know. Uh, Let's go back to Los Angeles and you you sort of like in this prep school, and then where do you head from there? Oh, so. Uh... I went to University of California, Santa Cruz. Oh. Um, yeah, wait, was, wait, the banana slugs? The what banana slugs. Yes. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, when at the very end, you know, he's wearing banana slugs. Yeah, there. for sure. But uh, That's a real kind of hippie countercultural yeah. school. Oh, yeah, because I remember when my college counselor was like, you should go to Santa Cruz because you'll have fun. That was her way of saying, like, you're not Ivy League material. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in one way she was right. Um that I really did enjoy Santa Cruz. Like it was a really beautiful campus. They actually had a really strong art department. They had a very uh, well-equipped metal shop and wood shop painting okay. studio, and probably the most extensive print studio I've seen since. Like I, I've been to several print studios, professional and university level, and Santa Cruz had the best one that I've seen. Really? Yeah, and uh, my teacher was Paul Rangel, he was actually, there were two teachers at that school that really got me to go into the arts because I was a sociology major for three years and I, I totally turned my back on that uh, my junior year hmm. um, to go into the art program. And so this guy, Paul, was the printmaking guy. He, he like taught intaglio and lithography and things like that, but it was lithography that got me back into artwork. Um, so I'm really thankful for meeting him. He was like a grumpy, angry old man, but... <laughs> He was Sometimes such a, they're the best. Yeah, but he, he, just, he just wanted to cut through the fat real quick, you know, and, and um, make sure that you were in that studio with a purpose because they'd spent quite a bit of money on uh, renovating it and stocking it with everything that you'd need. But, uh, yeah, but Santa Cruz had a good one, and uh, Noah Buchanan. You guys, oh, you guys for sure, I know him. him. Yeah, he was, he was uh, the painter that I met at Santa Cruz. Actually, I didn't even get to his drawing class because they had gated enrollment. I remember they closed the enrollment for his figure drawing class, and I really wanted to be in it. So I like begged him to let me in the class, and so he was like, well, let me see your sketchbook. And the sketches were bad back then, but whatever he saw, I think he was like, well, okay, you should be in the class then. And he talked to the department head and got me into the class. Wow. Yeah, and that like... Um, turn to court. Yeah, I, I do not for a second believe any sketch you made was actually bad ever. Yeah, trust me, these would surprise you. Um, but I just remember seeing his seminar and just his work was technically so clean and sound. And I grew up, you know, I loved comic books as a kid, and uh -huh. therefore I also, my parents' art books, I always looked at Michelangelo all the time because uh -huh. he was like the original superhero draftsman or whatever you want to. Um, but so under un, in Noah's class, I really learned quite a bit, and then we had this rapport, and I kind of un apprenticed under him 
for oil painting for like six months and he got this really large commission for uh, two altarpiece paintings. So I'd help him and in exchange he'd give me private lessons in oil painting. And um, wow. he was the one, he's an academy alumni and he was like, you should go to the academy, you should go to New York. Okay. And so huge student loan later, I listened, you know, I went to the academy <laughs> Just like he said, and um, the rest is history. Just kind of stayed in New York ever since, for better or for worse. And just right. met a lot of good people here and got to well, love the city. Well, like the line work you you deal with is really exquisite, but it doesn't sound like you did that kind of traditional atelier in front of the model, eight hours a day for seven days a week. You know, how did you? We did that at the that? academy. The academy had a pretty uh, regimented program for foundational work so we were drawing from a model like six hours a day every day uh -huh. for the first year yeah what year was that i was in maya's yeah, class yeah i wasn't okay. never in one of her actual studio classes but she was my year i remember she like was right by the financial aid office like always toiling away on her <laughs> crazy <laughs> intricate little beautiful little paintings <laughs> yeah very quiet but, um, That's what she says about you. By the way, Maya's not quiet, and now that you're here, <laughs> like like I described you as kind of like a quiet, introverted guy, you're not that quiet either. <laughs> I, I feel like you're both, you're both kind of I'm just comfortable with you guys. You're, yeah, you're both faking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they say if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything. So <laughs> Usually I'm pretty but quiet. I, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys both might have actually been like compulsive people who just concentrated on their work a lot. Uh, yeah, and, it was, and that, that is sometimes deceptive and comes off as quiet and introverted. Uh, but it's just like obsessive. About it, yeah, it's, it's just not work. having like the room to let anyone else into your like art li like art life. Yeah, I mean, I went moment. through. I don't know if she if the same thing happened, but when I was at the academy, I went through like a few girlfriends there because I couldn't like maintain a healthy relationship with someone. Because there was just so much pressure that I was putting on myself to, to get better and to work harder and work longer hours and do mm -hmm. as much as I could. But we did. But to answer your question, there was quite a bit of this like more traditional atelier um, guidance. Uh, I mean, at and, the academy. At the academy, and uh -huh. I mean, and you can judge it for what it is. Like I'll be honest, that I didn't. There were a few people there that I didn't think I learned all that much from artistically. Not mm -hmm. to say that I didn't learn from them just about life, about how to conduct oneself as mm -hmm. an adult mm -hmm. and what is like important for your career as an artist. But um, so it was kind of hit or miss, whoever you were gonna get, but you still were given ample time with a live model um, mm -hmm. to draw from. And uh, so that, yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, that program's pretty good because I, I, I did more the atelier route, just painting you know, eight hours a day. Seven See, I wish I did that because there's a lot, it's a lot cheaper. Like I didn't have to go uh -huh. into loads of student loan debt to learn what I did. But I will but say whatever. there is like you talked about, cause now I, I do teach drawing at the Academy Okay. and it is like a pressure cooker. Like it's not the duration that I did by any means, but like every day I'm in there with a lesson that feels like a little more heat than a lot of my atelier instructors you know mm -hmm. it's condensed and, and tight there um well i guess i want to go back what was your experience what were you working on at the academy like for uh i guess like the first year really just focused on my my first love has always been drawing so i just i was a i was a sculpture focus mm -hmm. but i just loved drawing so much that i was seeing like really really significant improvements in my work and not just like 
oh, I'm drawing this arm better, but when I would go to look at uh, older drawings from some of the older masters that I really appreciated, I started to really realize that you could decipher that the, the language, the visual language that they were operating with, mm. that, that each of them had a very cryptic system that they were working with. You know, a lot of it looks like beautiful hatching, but there's, there's a very strict logic that they're employing with their work, and that varies from artist to artist, obviously. But I, so I, w- I was just seeing that I, w- I was learning a lot, and a lot of it was coming from external sources, and a lot of it was just going through that grind of working hmm. and finding these sort of like epiphanies within within that work. So and, before you got here, we were saying like Jur for you and uh, Michelangelo with your work a little bit of Rubens, like who, who were you looking at? Were we right about that? <laughs> Definitely Michelangelo and Durer. Okay. Yeah, those were the two. I, I mean, Leonardo was someone that I used to look at a lot as a kid. I loved him when I was like really, really young mm-hmm. for his uh, Codex Atlantis drawings in that book. Um, just what, all of them. What? What made you choose the brush instead of the pen? or Durer. The, Durer, right? Because uh, I, I was like trying to mess with the calligraphic pens, mm-hmm. and I just felt like I wasn't getting the response that I wanted. Mm. Um, and then I tried making my own quills because I thought there would be a better response out of that because it's organic and it's flexible and stiff, and it's you know it's not metal or plastic. And it was just so difficult to, no matter how many books that I looked at how to make your own quill, I could never make one that seemed to produce the results I wanted, mm-hmm. even paired with whatever type of paper I would try to use. So that's when I started looking at a lot of Durer because I've always loved him. And I was like, well, he just uses a brush and ink, which sounded like crazy to me because I'd always just used Micron pens as a kid or oh, yeah. felt pens or like, you know, the nib pens. And uh, it was like really frustrating at first. But then I found that there's such like an infinite um, amount of like the sensitivity in a brush is just so unique that you're not only dealing with the the I mean just to talk about technical things just not not only dealing with like the saturation of the line but also the width and the fluidity of you know the medium itself and I just found that I, I really loved it it was really methodical and meditative um, and it was getting me results that I'd never seen in just traditional like pen and ink drawings yeah. you know and people would always ask like oh like how did like what 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 are you using and I would just tell them it's brush and ink like it's so simple if you can. If you yeah, if you can just grind again to use the word for this podcast, but yeah. if you can continue just to push and push with like a brush, I mean you can really learn a lot. Just and a lot of it, I have to say, is just motor muscle memory, just teaching your hand and your brain to work in tandem and totally. Yeah. Did um, did you have a weight for drawing? By no. Because I remember when because I he had... he actually made us do that. <laughs> yeah, he actually made us he do did. that. Yeah, we, we did a... It, was, it, it became was a contest. Like, who was, could draw a, the best doer praying it hand? Was, it was <laughs> and yeah. You know what I got? I, I didn't win, but somebody else did. It was like a history of a drawing techniques class. It was yeah. probably one of the best classes I so took fun. ever anywhere. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Uh-huh. I missed a good one then. Uh-huh. So it was always... Your, your work is so dependent on the line. I kind of like to watch you do it. How much do you think about a line and where it's going to start and end up before you put it on the paper? Oh, that's, like, that's why it's like really tiring for me because every, every line I think about. Uh-huh. And I taught a class uh, at the Nissa School this past summer doing sculpture, but I also did some drawing with the kids. And I'd constantly tell them, I was like, 
you know, you're just like scratching around, scribbling around, you know, just, I was like, why don't you try thinking about what you're doing right now and think every single time. Uh -huh. um, and so that's the way my drawing was. The, the brush and ink was just another way I think that kind of like just brought that to the forefront more in, mm -hmm. in my experience was like, you just have to slow down and mm -hmm. think about where you're going with every line, especially because the thin to thick to thin line constantly every single time it, it, it does become um, like autopilot, but the moment you go on autopilot, you start, at least for me, with the, the line work, because it is so clear, you start making decisions that you're going to regret later down the road because you're wanting to create not only just, in my case, the representation of, let's say, these Liberace hands, uh -huh. but you want to create the tonal scale that seems appropriate, the logic of however the light you know scheme is going. But you also, at least for me, I would want to create like the best patterns that I could with yeah, the hatching. Yeah. So I was always kind of anticipating and, and the and the preparatory drawings kind of helped with that because I would go through how I was going to approach this shadow or this form. How was I going to, you know, um, illustrate this moment? And uh, so, yeah, so when the time came to draw, I kind of it was like doing rehearsal. I kind of like rehearsed it a few times mm -hmm. so that when I would go into it, it was always, um, I felt pretty confident about what I was going, like, going to do. And you said thin to thick to thin really fast, and I, I won't clarify. I don't know what you mean oh, by that exactly. I found that when I see sloppy hatching, and again, this is like not, this is not fun to listen to, but um, <laughs> it's always because they go fat to thin or thin to fat, or it's just fat or thin. There's in the, one stroke. In one stroke. I know. It, of the line. I, I keep telling like these young kids, or I kept telling them, I was like, you know, there's if there's one thing I can teach you about your drawing, and I was like, it's a little secret that gets overlooked time and time again. I was like, if you just practice thin to thick to thin, a thousand times, I was like, your drawings will look better for it. And wow, I mean, you see okay. it on these like Cintiq tablets uh, or Illustrator that it has the the software. It it's built in that a stroke it'll do that automatically for the user. Because whoever designed it realized must have realized this too. But when I was looking at all the old masters, it was always a thin to thick to thin. Because you're already just with one line, you're modeling, right? Because that line getting thick is already turning an edge in a way. Uh huh. So so is the thick part on the turning? No, I down. I mean it can even just be a straight line. It doesn't necessarily the line doesn't have to critically turn, but just going like thin to thick to thin, mm. you're already creating like a perceived volume there. Because once that's repeated over and over and over again, you've just created like a, a value range that's mm. happening. Whereas like if you just hatch, 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 and then hatch, 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 you're creating value by the culmination of all these intersecting lines. But the lines themselves, as like an individual, they're not modeling at all. Mm. If that makes here's sense. actually where it turns out that we're all a bunch of dorks. Yes. <laughs> because you say it's not interesting to listen to, but we're all actually. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm totally intrigued by it. Would you yeah. recommend any, you know, ex exercise for that? Because I know it's a very specific way to handle that. Line. No, I would, I, I, would, I would just do it as a warm up sometimes, um, just can you, to can like. You do it with ballpoint pen. Yeah, you can do it with basically okay, yeah, anything. Yeah, because I'm, wow. I'm not a drawer, and I feel like I feel like like that's not ballpoint is the easiest. That's not mm -hmm. my natural thing, 
and right now like I'm obviously I'm out of oil painting shape for like yeah. a year so like like it's got to be you know it's got to be drawing and then from it's drawing it's got to be ballpoint pen and I was like all right I want to try this <laughs> yeah it's ballpoint is actually like it's the easiest on ballpoint ballpoint's the most forgiving of all the and ballpoint, and actually, ballpoint is forgiving it's like it's the most forgiving drawing medium <laughs> yeah it's wonderful though it's great but and yeah then, you should try with it yeah and then and then use a use a pen then use a brush all right, after we do this I just want to like watch you do this like I want to watch you yeah, too. I, I, okay. I know. We're gonna do a video, yeah. like in like oh Instagram. You're gonna do a tutorial, right. <laughs> and I feel like for once our listeners are gonna rejoice because it'd be like, finally something about okay. art, <laughs> not just griping about bullshit. That's All great. Right. Okay. I actually found that because I used to obsessively look at Michelangelo. I, I would just like draw his drawings from Recall, where I would just memorize them and then draw them. And I would just do that all the time, just for what shits and giggles, I guess. But I remember just finding you were it. drawing Michelangelo drawings from Recall for shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah. I, I just <laughs> <laughs> well, I just felt like it was just a it was like a it was like an exercise that I found I mean, really the helpful. The rest of us just drink Robitussin and like you know, like trying to trying to make ourselves hallucinate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would do a lot of that too. Trust me, a lot of drugs in my past. But um, oh, yeah. it was it was in one of his sketchbooks that I saw. He had this little patch where it was just like hatch marks, and I was like, "Why is he like?" And then I started noticing it all over the place, and it dawned on me. I was like, "He's just like warming up right now," mm. and clearly to him, this was like a very important thing. Um, so then I just was looking closer at his drawings and realizing that every single one utilized this. Not a single line would. You know, was in a, was in in contrast to this philosophy for line work, I guess. Um, yeah, wow. so that's that's how I like started, you know, arriving at that and wow. kind of. And wow, is it so meditative great. for you? When, I think because so. Because you have to be constantly present. Right? Yeah, because again, so. it's like you're not just letting your hand go loose. You're really having to, yeah. like, play an instrument, you know, over and over and over again. Um, so um, let's kind of get you back to um, so, so you, you end up in grad school you've you finished that um, mm-hmm. and now, now where are you is, well, this, is this where your nanny job starts or uh? well yeah after grad school like I think I said before I was going through jobs just working for other artists and learned a lot uh, at the studios just in terms of the different materials and the processes and really actually thinking about artwork as like a pipeline of work of where it starts from and then where it finishes and all the sequences in between like assembly line when you're working with yeah yeah but not so much a, well yeah assembly line but more so in the sense of like always looking ahead like what's next mm. and anticipating problems because especially for sculpture first okay, if I want to make this nine and a half foot sculpture, how is it going to stand? And then you have to think about, okay, not only does it have to stand, but the stand has to rotate and how much weight am I going to be using with this clay? And so you wind up, um, because I had done work at these studios, I was able to kind of take a very daunting task for, let's say, for example, the sculpture and break it down into what needed to happen in the various mm-hmm. steps mm-hmm. and it allowed me to look at the picture in more manageable terms rather than I'm just gonna make this big sculpture um, it's so easy to get lost when you when you go up in scale especially I think it's like for eating it, an elephant yeah <laughs> sure yeah. 
one bite at a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like knowing where to bite first, you know, makes a big difference too. Yeah. Um, like, like in opening, don't moves? bite the testicles first. Elephants hate that. Yeah, you might get kicked. Um, uh, but are you saying like? Because uh, I think about this a lot in the beginning of an artwork, almost like chess, like a smart opening move can really set you up. You yeah, know what I'm saying definitely, definitely. Yeah, and there's a lot of like chess openings that they've been played a thousand times by a thousand different masters and um, they all like do get you to a good position and then it's up to your middle game right to finish off the rest and yeah you do get lost in the work I mean that's like the middle game is getting lost and kind of like working your way through that um, where problems arise that you didn't foresee but like you said you do the best when you even if it's like a it's a, if it's an opening that every single kid on the face of the earth knows, you must know the opening first so that you set yourself up for that uh-huh. really laborious middle you know, period of your project. Wow. And so Where the like, improv- improvisation comes in a little bit. Yeah. And, and so that you don't spend that whole middle part. So in my case with oil painting, I mean, oil painting is so forgiving, right? Like oil painting forgives everything. But I used to, I mean, and, and that's the part I love. I, like I love painting. Mm-hmm. I am not a good drawer. I'm not a good measurer. And so it took me years to realize that like if your opening move is wrong, like if, if you like fuck up the perspective, you will spend that whole middle yeah. game just remeasuring and oh. like re- measuring is so boring i mean like yeah. like no one wants to do that the Definitely. fun part i mean the, like like i guess the fun part is different for everyone mm-hmm. but like you, you basically never get to the fun part if you fuck up in the first 10 minutes of, of a painting yeah right. and re re-measuring when there's so much material and it's so much more laborious oh yeah and i think your your emotional state starts to tank when you start undoing work oh my know? god that's the you, worst it's the worst you 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 feel it and my goal as an artist is just to keep the ball rolling uphill, even if it takes forever. You know, like yeah. set it up well, get it on. You know, yeah. don't don't tank, don't let your you know like oh fuck that's way off, and just keep correcting. Yeah, you know? uh, no, it's, I think that's the worst, and it's like self defeating if mm-hmm. you're constantly undoing, doing. I mean, not to to say there's a lot of artists that they built a career on that methodology, but. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I spent a lot of my like, you know, like the like time as an artist on doing mistakes I made in the first ten minutes, and it's no, it's not great. I would, right? Yeah. I mean, like, like, like I, I, I wish in the quantum universe where it's like I measured to be right to begin There's with. Data that measures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind you of. You killed them Yeah, but teach their own. Uh, yeah. That's hilarious. Do you guys know who Harvey is at the academy? Harvey, he's still there, I mean, right? I, I, he's still I, there. Yeah. I, I love Harvey. I actually yeah. never had a class with him, but he was one of the people I got along with best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he. I mean, if I did have a class with him, we probably wouldn't have gotten along nearly as well because he'd be like, "Measure." Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was the one that like I didn't. I didn't really find it that engaging at the time, but I really am thankful for him teaching that to me because like. When we were working on our little 16-inch figures, oh god! At the time, I thought this is so much like to work with 16 inches is like such a big sculpture, because I had never done sculpture before grad school, um, which is like shitty to admit. But I was like such a novice about it, hmm. um, and he was like so strict about measurements, um, 
because he, he would always say like, look, you're going to one day, you're going to want to go to life size or bigger or do this. And he's like, if you don't learn this now, you're going to kick yourself later for not just kind of applying yourself and ingraining this in you. Mm. And sure enough, like when I did this large piece, it was based off of Rodin, um, the three shades that, that guy doing this, mm -hmm. um, and it was so difficult. I was just using online imagery to to model from, and oh. it's all bronze. And bronze is like the oh. most difficult thing to decipher three dimensionally because any light source becomes a highlight on the surface of the bronze. So it's really hard to determine where your forms are actually coming to its high point, what's flat, what's round, yada, yada, all that stuff. Mm. And so I had to really rely on the measuring for myself to like help rein things in. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, that mm -hmm. was like totally helpful. Wow. But so you cast that. the bronze though, right? Fuck no. No? Sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> you could say it's, it's too, that's a question I get a lot. And I'm always like, if I were to cast that in bronze, not only would it take probably like eight months of a team of 15 people working on it, but it would probably take about a half a million dollars easily. Really? Oh, yeah. Because that amount of metal, just to like put it, to cast, even if you, you would have to cast it in multiple sections. You couldn't even cast that thing like all at once. It would probably just explode or something. But wow. it's like every time, because you're dealing with three dimensions, every time you maybe go up, in scale two times you're increasing the volume of the actual bronze you're using by about four in a way mm -hmm. i mean because they're always hollow bronzes but so like if you were to cast this cup let's say at the brooklyn foundry somewhere they would want four hundred dollars for it but if you go up to like this stack of cups the price starts going up kind of geometrically like it's not just like some linear progression oh wow. you know it's like four eight sixteen thirty two you know it starts going up like it becomes like an exponential thing. So it would be so crazy to cast that thing as a wow. bronze. Like that would be, ins it would take a Jeff Koons sculpture to do that. I, I think at least maybe there's some well, guy. You've in been that. working there, so might as well do it, man. Yeah. And I saw what it took to make one of those goddamn things. Wow. So you know how to do it. You can do it. Holy shit. Well, they did the, the casting in Philly. They would have another foundry do their casting for aluminum. And then... So your, Nick kick, your next Kickstarter project. Yeah. Raise half a million. I want to get raise... a team. This maybe do a shoestring, maybe 200, yeah. 250,000 would, would do it. But so actually, I, I know you want to move it forward, but I, d I did have a question about your support. Like, because you, you talked about your dad, and I, I'm interested in that. And then mm -hmm. now you went to UC Santa Cruz, you changed majors, you wound up at the New York Academy, to your point, pretty expensive. Was your dad supportive? Was there support from your family? Yeah, there there was like emotional, like moral support, definitely from my family. My mom, she will support whatever I do, no matter how wonderful or self destructive. She like to a fault, she will support me. Um, that's great. Like emotionally, um, so that's always been like uh, that's always been a given. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad. He he went through some health problems when I was in college. He's you know he's like more or less fine now, but there was a period where he really like flipped a switch in himself. Mm -hmm. And ever since he went through this period of where he just wasn't sure if he was gonna you know get better or not. Um, ever since then, he's just kind of been like, okay, whatever you want to do, son. Like just make sure that you enjoy it and okay. I'll be behind you a hundred percent. Oh, that's great. So 
like everyone in my family is always incredibly supportive. So I have to, you know, remind myself to be grateful for that because that does mean a lot to just have people that believe in you. Totally. Even when there have been many times that I've literally given them nothing to believe in, um, but yet oh, wow. they would still, you know, be very supportive. Um, but I would also say friends, man. Just the friends that I met in New York were pretty life altering. Like, hmm. My prep school is a K through 12, so I've had friends that I'm still in close contact with since I was five. But um, the friends that I'd made here in New York, it was like in our more formidable years as an adults. Um, and I really am very, very, very grateful for them too, because mm-hmm. I felt like could not have just pushed through getting to know the city or just staying afloat here without Mm -hmm. that network of people that just is always like willing to meet you for a drink and like lift your spirits if you need that or Mm. you know whatever just say the right thing at the right time that sort of stuff well new york is such a special place like that i feel the same way you do and there's part of me that always wants to move and the other part of me that is like that's what i miss so bad because it's like a hyper chamber. You can meet so many people trying the same thing you're doing in the same situation. And it's like, you, it's like, oh my God, here are my people, you know? Yeah. At the Art Students League here, at, you know, all, all these places, you know? It's really a special, supportive, to your point, environment. Mm-hmm. Do, do you talk art to your brother still? Uh, n- not as much anymore. Yeah. We, you know, like, we don't talk on the phone all the time, but... Now that he's a kid, we talk about Bodhi all the time. Um, but we used to, we used to do a lot of roofing together when I was younger. So we would just like talk philosophy and art on the roof. Oh man, that's um, awesome. Yeah, so. That is awesome. I know. <laughs> that sounds like it'd be a good movie. Yeah, totally. It makes me, I want to be on a roof talking philosophy <laughs> yeah. with you. I know, guys. with your tool belts and banging away at stuff. But yeah, he was actually, he, he was almost ordained as a priest. Um, for Buddhism so like he dropped out or he didn't drop out he took a leave of absence from USC for a few years and was like very adamant about Buddhism and was reading more than you know he's ever read about everything that he could get his hands on and uh, went up to San Francisco to this valley called Green Gulch to do like a three week intense uh, retreat there um and then when he came back, he was at this L.A. temple for a while, and he was really close to being ordained as a priest, but he didn't. He decided at the last moment um, that he wasn't willing to, like, give up, you know, the pleasures of the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's better for that, honestly, because wow. now he's a wonderful wife and a kid. And uh-huh. But um, so we would talk about uh, certainly art all the time because he was younger then, but we'd also talk about Eastern philosophy or however that engages like a Western lens uh, perspective and are, so. are you religious do you have no I'm not I okay. mean I my mom is like I would go to church as a kid I'd go to Sunday school and stuff but I would draw like skeletons with like bleeding cracks in their head and stuff <laughs> I, remember, I remember one of them was like should we talk about these drawings Miles like, what's going on <laughs> We're worried about mom. Yeah, little they know. It's just like kids, you know. They just love shit like that. They love uh, like aliens and dinosaurs and skeletons and blood and stuff. Totally. Um, but yeah, so I, no, I'm not. I'm not religious. Um, Cool. And then now, I guess where it, it happens to every guest, sort of like now we're sort of in the 
the art grind period where you're out of school yep. and then you're just like, I assume a little bit of what do I do now? Like, what's it look like? What, what did that look like for you? Oh, God. Actually, what did you think it would be? You know, because we all go into grad school. Yeah. I mean, thinking that, like, at least in my case, I was like, of course I'll find a gallery right out of school. And yeah, then exactly. And I'll make some work and I'll sell it. And I knew I'd find a it. gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew it. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, like, uh, did you think that your life would go that route? Or yeah, for or sure. Like no, I had no doubt. I, I, knew, I knew at the time, you know... My, I had like a sense of hubris that I thank God I got rid of, but I was like, oh, I'm better than a lot of these people. I'll, I'll get into a gallery. Mm. Um, and it, it was like such a pitfall to think that that's what was important or what you needed to do. Mm. And it was annoying though, because I'd always like go home and people would be like, oh, I know this gallery. And I was like, first off, that's a gallery in like Huntington Beach. No one gives a shit about that. Like, right. First off, like <laughs> right. you're out of your element. Second of all, it's like it's not that easy. You can't just like show your work in a portfolio to the girl behind the desk who's like shopping for a coat, you know, right. at, at the gallery or something. So but at the time, you know, I thought I had no doubt that I would get out of grad school and I'd have a gallery and be famous and rich and have people drinking champagne with me and well what was yeah. Wade saying like everyone his age looks back and realize there was no order to or plan or what was it it just sort of life happens as you go through it and yeah it seems that way right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I never imagined I'd be here on a whatever what was it Tuesday night yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuesday. Know that I'm here on a Tuesday night. You know, like I feel like our thirty, <laughs> like we're all in our thirties, and that's just like a weird time in life. Like yeah. it's when, like, and and I feel like it's like the grind part of life too. Yeah, it's not that you right? like, it's it's a part where like you've kind of like law like you. I mean, you're pro- you probably don't have the hubris that you did in your like early twenties. Yeah, no, definitely. Not. Um, <laughs> and, and you don't the have middle of the painting. Or the and you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like you're either like fixing all your perspectives, yeah. <laughs> or you're like, yes, I did the right thing. Yeah, you're like flying through the painting. Yeah. So, which one are we? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just like, I'm, 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 redraw, I'm redrawing my drawing mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> you're still like... learning to measure. I feel like most of the people I've met are in the scrambling phase. I don't know anyone who's been like, nailed it right out of yeah. the gate. Yeah. Here I go. Well, or maybe we're just not invited. Maybe those people won't come and talk to us. <laughs> you know? Maybe they're too busy being like, oh, I yeah. nailed it. I might as well yeah. fly off to They're on like and... NPR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not our grind. Yeah. <laughs> Too busy being great on a yacht somewhere. <laughs> uh, um, but but um but, but yeah um back back to what like like back to what you know so you thought you would like you you thought that you would have a gallery you would um, you deserve a gallery. Well, I just yeah, thought yeah, that's what that's what happens to yeah. artists. You know I was naive and I was dumb and had some skill and I thought this is what happens to you. You go to school and you're in New York and you talk to some people and then they want to give you a show and money. Mm-hmm. You know that's like the I just figured that's how it works and it does work that way. Sometimes, sometimes it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes so at, yeah. The ti- at the time you were at the academy, like at the time I like like we were there, which was a few years before mm-hmm. that. People actually didn't expect that. Um, I was like the only obnoxious asshole who did. Yeah. But um, but but by the time you were there, I feel like the academy was also very. I mean, like, the, like they had more gallery connections. Like I feel like they kind of almost taught you to expect that you would end up with like a gallery or a teaching job. That you would kind of like have a road to travel. Yeah. The second you were out of there, and they would get you know. Um, and I feel like a few people did. Uh, a few people, most, I think, do in every class now and. 
I was a little bit, there, there was like some resentment, I hate to admit it because it's, it's like really immature. At the time I had some resentment because I was like, why are there a hundred people or I don't even know how many people are in the building at once, but I'm like, let's say 70. I'm like, why are there 70 artists crammed into this tiny space paying all this money and like the president is showing maybe three of the artists work to people that come to visit the school. I was like, why are those three people time and time again getting exposure? And, but that's just like the name of the game. That's just the way it is. Like, can you not expect someone who's in control of an institution not to play favorites with their patrons or their connections to someone that they really believe in themselves? I'm like, that's just human nature. Now, now looking back at it, I'm like, that's what it is. But at the time, I remember after like when the second year was kind of coming to a close and I was realizing like maybe there isn't light at the end of this particular tunnel that I thought I was looking down hmm. I was um, like a little bit embittered by that hmm. but um, I think that whatever I think you know I became probably a more well-rounded person coming to terms with the the fantasy being just a fantasy what it is mm -hmm. and learning that life like you said before shit happens for no real reason at all and that you can just be ready for it when it comes just hopefully you're ready. And, and, they, and they, even if you get like the gold medal at you know the at the end of any particular thing, whatever the gold medal yeah. is, it, it means nothing. It mean like it means nothing a In year. The grand down scheme the, of things, you're right. You know? Yeah, that's true too. But but, this, but going back to to you say, and I thought it was really kind of remarkable and like really honest to say there was bitterness, and then I was like thinking, but you had every right. Like going back to that original conversation, like. It's not a meritocracy, and you were seeing that in full force. Someone who was working hard, really talented, and seeing things funneled to other but, people. But probably yeah, but I didn't have a right though, because everyone was working hard. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, everyone yeah, was in there. Thing, you weren't like I can't imagine you like schmoozing with the no, right people. No, I was bad and, at that. And I think that that's some, at least some of it um, for the people that you know, like, like, like for the people whose work does get shown, and for the yeah. people who you know, like, I think some of it is just having talked to the right person at the right time. And yeah, absolutely. Of, and and, yeah. and like uh -huh. and some people are much better at doing that. They will go to every opening. Yeah try to talk to every like every right person and I cannot see you doing that for like five minutes so. oh it's a hundred percent that I think about because like what else is it it's like art is about communication with people and I mean what's the best way to communicate just through words just through like ex the experience of being with someone and connecting with them I mean so much artwork but, is but, but you know so, some so, so like is my example that I would you know like well way back when I was teaching, I try to give my students about this kind of schmoozing thing, mm -hmm. is that if you take two artists who are the same at like 22, who are equally talented, but like we, we tend to get better at things that we do a lot of and worse at things that we don't do a lot of. Like it, we don't stay the same at the stuff yeah. we don't do, we actually actively, like those muscles atrophy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, so, yeah. If you, so if you have two artists who are you know at the same level of talent, but one of them is just really, really, dedicated to brush you know like like you know like, you know brush and ink drawings <laughs> and the other one is really really dedicated to going to openings and trying to like talk their way into a gallery and you take them 10 years down the line one of them is much much better at drawing and the other one is much much better at networking uh, yeah, and definitely. the person who's better at drawing is not just 
the same at, net, at networking. They're actually worse than they were 10 years ago. And <laughs> Probably, the person, yeah. Yeah, and the person that says Even it's better at networking. <laughs> yeah, and the, well, yeah, because they've just spent 10 years doing this. And the person who's better at networking is not the same at drawing as they were 10 years ago. They're probably actually worse. So mm -hmm. I feel so then you've got two people the same at 22 and at 32. One is extremely good at, like, you know, yeah. like at, at what they do. And the other one is extremely good at being connected yeah. and their careers are going very differently so i feel like it's almost like an inverse correlation but what if that person like you're saying who just continues their craft let's say like, not that they're mutually exclusive to schmooze and working yeah, yeah i mean I'm let's say the one who doesn't you know have that gift for the gift of gab with people just always stays close to the one who does that's something that i learned was that instead of being bitter because someone else is getting the limelight or getting the attention why not just, wait, now this is sounding like schemey, but why not just like open yourself up to the fact that you just have to create opportunities for yourself. Grinding away in a closet isn't gonna make an opportunity. What makes an opportunity is being engaged with the people that are like-minded. If that person is better at talking and networking, why not just like stay connected with them you know, genuinely. And, and I'm not some, saying inauthentic, but that and way it's like you two can like bounce yeah. from each other a little bit. You know, it's like you two can kind of help fill the glass together a little bit because maybe you, this one person's great at networking, creating, um, creating events and stuff, and then they can showcase along with other people that maybe they admire their work or something. Yeah. And then those people can also benefit from this other really, you know, uh, energized person who's the one kind of facilitating these events, yeah, things and, like and, that. And there are people like that. There are people yeah. who just want everyone else in their like little like like life their to be click. successful yeah. too. Their click, their you know, the, yeah. the, their pack. That's and, what Mark Dennis said on this show. He was talking not on this show, but to me personally years ago. I was really like, I don't want to go meet anyone. I only wanted to paint in a cave. And he's like. That's no recipe for success. You yeah. Know? And he's like, what happens if you just go out and meet some people? He's like, don't do it in any... He's just like, just meet friends. Don't look for anything. Just meet artists and learn from them. And then he's like, if an opportunity comes up, bonus. If not, you get a friend. You know? Yeah. And it was like, yeah. that made so much sense to me. You know, Definitely. just like, let's just build a community. That's all yeah. you got to do. You, know? you really have to like remove the expectations, remove the sense of entitlement, what is rightfully yours or what should be yours, or this idea even of the meritocracy or the hierarchy. Like, once you remove, at least for me, once you remove all that stuff, then everything is just a pleasure because you're meeting uh -huh. people you, you care right. about or that you, you're doing the work you enjoy. And I mean, that's like, for me, that's a mindset that I have to cultivate. I'm not naturally gifted that way. Same here. I have to remind myself that this is the way it is and like, be appreciative for this and that and that mm -hmm. and like kind of like turn the prism a little bit so that I'm just, you know. One of your, the series I love so much is those Liberace hands. It's a little bit unique to me because I think Liberace is fascinating, but do, do you, what, what, what brought that about? Was it just like, I mean, the jewelry's so cool. Is it like... Oh, it was like, I, my dad, when I was really young, I remember he showed me his, college portfolio and he had hand drawings in it and as a kid I remember I was like wow he's drawing every wrinkle it's so like detailed and beautiful and like how the hell does anybody make something like this I was just so blown away mm -hmm. so 
in high school, I used to doodle, I would just draw my own hand all the time. So it was always remarkable. Like I would draw something for myself that was like just out of my imagination or whatever. And it was always kind of stupid looking back. I'm like, oh, this is bullshit. But he, when he had told me that you always have a model, if you want to draw your hand, just always draw your hand. Like my hand drawings were always pretty strong because I, I was like looking at something and really kind of fascinated with it. That had always been like in the back of my head. I'd always been doing hand drawings as long as I could remember. And when I was working on my large sculpture, I'd kind of taken a step back completely from drawing because all my work was invested into the sculpture. That when I reached a point with that where I couldn't go further financially, um, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? So I was like, well, I'll just go back to 2D. And I just didn't know what else to do. So I started painting and drawing hands again. And um, it just felt very fragmented because I was like, well, what is this body of work? It's just studies of hands. And that didn't feel like it was, it didn't feel like it was enough. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, admittedly, it's kind of shallow. I had just watched Behind the Candelabra. Oh, that's great. And Liberace had been a name, right? I'd known the name, didn't really know anything about him. And so I was really interested in him and didn't realize he was like this huge icon that he was the most, he was the highest paid entertainer like in the world during his time. And he just reached this level of just like godliness mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in that circuit. Um, and I found a photo taken by Annie Leibovitz of his hands. And I was like, my God, this is like a beautiful photograph. And I'd been doing hand drawing, so I was like, why don't I just, I hate drawing from photographs, but I was like, why don't I just use this as a reference, and I'm going to do uh, Liberace's hands, partly just, you know, partly aesthetically, I just like the way it looked, right? Nothing bigger than that. But um, also, I was like, maybe I can make this the focus of a series to somehow tie this all together. And so once I made that first one, it's, it was one of those moments where I made something where when I was finished and I looked back at it, I was like, I don't know how I did that. You know, like mm -hmm. I didn't, I'm not, it's not like I'm tooting my horn that I think it's the greatest thing ever, but I felt like I had done something that was beyond my own capabilities at the time. I just felt mm -hmm. like I had mm -hmm. made something greater than myself. And so I didn't want to stop that momentum and just kept making iterations off that. So I didn't use photographs after that, but um, I just turned it into from Liberace's hands to Liberace's keys to Liberace's cigarette hmm. um, to his Liberace's blessing. And then uh, there was one other one. I don't think, I, I don't know if I had a title for it, but it just became a, a focus that, that helps kind of um, tie, yeah, weave in together these various like interests. And it was, it just felt, it was a great moment. That was, I think that was like my favorite period of time making artwork was that Liberace series. I really mm -hmm. enjoyed doing that and I wanted to continue it, but it just felt like after six or five of them, however many I did, that that was kind of like the end of it in a way, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of sad. <laughs> but I really, I, I'm glad that you bring, brought that up because I, I really did love that period. I really loved making those quite a bit. Just something about the 
you know, the, the blue paper and just the black ink and white gouache. And I mean, it just. And you were working with the ink that would stain the paper at the time. Like yeah, it was just straight up just, like, just ink on paper at that yeah, time. No, yeah. There was no frills. There was nothing fancy about it. It was just back to basics. And wow. uh, I really, yeah, I, that's, it's almost like there, there was a part of me. I have them framed in my apartment now, thank God, because I didn't have any like thing on the walls in my apartment. But now at least there's something up to make it feel more homey. But every time I walk by it, I'm always like reminded of what a beautiful time that felt like. Because every wow, morning I just woke up amazing. and was like so happy to go to my drafting table and start back to work. And it, it you know, the grind wasn't, wasn't bad. It was like, I loved it. Uh -huh. and, well, because at its best, it's not bad. It, you know, yeah. like, like we all, well, I guess we all love it. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes we don't, but we do it anyway. And Definitely. I guess that's the point sometimes of a grind. It's work. Yeah. 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 I know that feeling where something just gets created and you're just like, whoa. And then it's like, did I do that? How did I? There's almost like a bit of a fugue state with them. It's mm -hmm. not. And then there are those times where it is a slog. And it's like, I like, I like how you phrase that, that it felt like something beyond your capabilities and you kind of caught up to it a little bit and they're all those will almost be like flag markers you know and i, I wish I, I hope we all have many of those yeah. <laughs> moments you yeah know? i know it's they're they're few and far between Miles, mm -hmm. did you show those anywhere or like what what did you do with them uh there was one oh i saw that jason patrick Volvo. am i saying yeah. his name right yeah yeah i saw his name on he's like your episode two or something mm -hmm. i showed the liberace cigarette for one of his palette painting shows I think that you yeah, were a part of that yes and um we're big fans of Jason here he's yeah, like he's he a is amazing really character. interesting guy I could see him picking that up and digging that yeah lot. he was a I remember speaking with him after that show really and really engaging interesting just kind of complex person really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. talk about anything that guy so what I mean I after this this portrait you're doing and it sounds like you you've created free time for yourself to get back into work are you more so are you are you nervous about that are you excited about that what's the uh yeah there's like a little bit of apprehension um i was received a pretty sizable commission to do a portrait this past summer mm. back in california right now i'm living with um the debt of that in a way because he had advanced the money to me um, we've known each other for a while and when I was back in California I was on a this is right after I was teaching in July I went to West Coast uh, in, in August to uh, go on a long backpacking trip and then I was gonna return to LA to do this commissioned portrait for him but his dog had mauled him. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. Mm. But he has this rescue <laughs> pit bull. Probably not funny. Because it, it, it is the classic kid excuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Dogging my homework. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, so dog fucked up. My, and it's dog crazy. Eat my, my face. That's, I mean, that's it didn't get his about. face, uh, but it, but it really hurt him quite badly. So I was. Wow. In he's he's very hard to get in touch with. He's very reclusive. He's a very wonderful person, but. He, um, he has a lot of things that I think that he deals with personally that make him very hard to reach and so he like sent me photos of the damage and I was just like Jesus and so he was going in for a third surgery Whoa. and he's like I don't think we should do the portrait right now so 
so I was like, okay, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, and haven't really been in touch with him since. I'd called him a few times. Um, but again, he's like really hard to get in touch with. So he called me this morning at like seven in the morning and I was like in bed. So I just didn't even wake up to take the call. I just saw that I'd missed it. Um, but that the money that he had advanced me was enough to float me for a while. Um, but I'm still like dealing with, you know, I need to get back there obviously to fulfill this obligation for mm -hmm. him. Um, so that's something that is in the future. I'm hoping that I get another chance to go back out west and do this portrait for him. So that's like, I can look at that as like work in the future. So um, it was a portrait of him? Yeah. It, Live portrait? Oh my yeah. God. So, I mean, we're, we're like old friends. He's, he, his, his father manufactured helicopters. Um, so they're really wealthy and um, we've known each other for like a really long time. So. We had, you know, fallen in and out of touch over the years, but I'd like to believe that we've, that we're friends to this day. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, why, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm rambling right now. I don't know what the point of saying this is. Well, just where you're headed, oh. you know, like, is it, you well, know. So, so you feel like you need to fulfill. So, oh, so yes, yeah. So, so wait, so are these portraits just kind of, or are, they, are these hands? Just sitting around here oh no so that's right that's now? what yeah that's i think that's what yeah. i was getting to like we were bouncing goofy ideas off each other like about how the portrait would be if it'd be like some silly you know ode to the old northern renaissance where he's going to sit there and like some sort of code and his little hands will be on the table or like we've been like you know kind of trying to develop a concept for the portrait so i'm hoping that we can together make something that's just more interesting than someone just like sitting like in the 1980s, everyone had like a portrait of like grandma in the oh, house or something. Yeah. Honestly, the dog damage might make it more interesting. I was kind of <laughs> thinking of that too, a few it's, scars. I know, it's fucked up because originally we were, I was like, I want your dog to be in the portrait. Like it's going to oh, be right. you and your dog and just like in some of the old timey portraits, they'd be there with their horse or like right. their animal that was like some some big dog obviously was a symbol of great power and wealth mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. prestige oh, a big violent dog is yeah <laughs> so we would yeah we were goofing around about those so that's that's something that i look forward to but also at the same time he had already given me this money and i'm like i feel this really strong sense of duty to like make sure i get this done mm -hmm. otherwise then i've just taken money and you know it's just that's yeah mm -hmm. so that's that's future I had like taken work time off the landscaping and carpentry job because again I just was like I I don't know if this is for me but working for someone else so mm -hmm. I'm kind of back to square one okay. like I don't know I don't know what I'll be doing but I just know that I gotta get back into the artwork because mm -hmm. like Dina you were saying before I think like many of us in the arts it's like we're not I'm just not that great at a lot of things in terms uh, of like I'm good at building I'm good at like making stuff seems like you're but, but you're better at, at, at you're better at more stuff than most most um, but um, uh, so the question is I mean like you're kind of I feel like every time you stop something like a job or I don't know like sometimes a relationship or whatever but like you know or get out of school I feel like you, it's almost like a train that you've been on and you get off of it and for a while you're just kind of standing on the platform waiting for like you, you know you're waiting for the next train and mm. you kind of like for like yeah like the cool thing on one hand it's scary because like you were moving you know in one direction for a while mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden you're not um but on the other hand like you can take any train 
right? Like which train, in like some ideal universe where like you choose, right? You're not that limited by time, money, et cetera. Like what, what train life-wise would you want to be on? Is it just the art making one? If so, kind of what, you know, not even what kind of art, but kind of where do you want to be with it all? Am I making sense? Yeah. Is that no. train analogy kind no, of? No, no, it does. It's like the, and, and you're right, you just have to step on, you, you just have to like, get, not to extend yes. the metaphor, but you just have to like step off the platform and board a train. Um, and the like, cool, what's, but the cool what's, yeah, the cool thing is that like, it, it could be any train, right? And like when you're on a train, you're just going in one direction. But like when you're on the, in that platform state, like it could be anywhere, right? Like you could create any universe for like, you know, until you make a decision. That's the optimist point of view. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah. I mean, but sometimes like even in, in periods like that I say I'm not doing much art, I guess like, you know, I don't, we all know that rent is hard, for instance, in the city, and like it's tough to like have a nice apartment. Like, are you working for yourself? Or are you working to pay for the apartment? Like, are who's a slave to who at that point? And mm-hmm. I just found that like, so I wasn't doing much artwork, but I had this, you know, kind of crummy apartment that my wife and I had been living in, and it's really cheap though. But so I was pouring a lot of my energy into renovating the apartment. And, like, I'd pulled up all the flooring because they had put like. OSB board down and there was like four layers of linoleum and paint on the original pine board so I was pulling up all the floors and then hand scraping all the original pine to revitalize it and then sealing it and I'd done all the baseboard molding and repainted and was installing new um, new light lighting fixtures and just doing like a lot of stuff to the apartment it exposed brick walls that were hidden behind plaster so I was chipping that all off and sealing all that so you know, even though I guess I wasn't doing artwork, it's just, I think like when you're a creative person, I think we all know it's like you can't stop necessarily expressing yourself in some uh-huh. creative capacity. Yeah, yeah. So I was finding that even if I wasn't making art, I was, you know, working a lot in the wood shop and doing all this stuff. And that energy was kind of percolating down into my own space to improve it, to make it better, which... You know, now it's like I feel good being in my apartment and my wife feels better about it. It it took a few years, like step by step to get that all done. But I had done so much stuff in there that I think I heard Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird while she had a full time desk job the whole Mm -hmm. time. Oh, wow. And and then you think like Charles Bukowski working at the post office and stuff. And a lot of those people attribute just labor that gets sort of monotonous like sorting mail is the whole time in a way you're if you're Bukowski you're writing poems while you're doing it yeah there's truth in it and I think it's a really if you if you use it right it can be really powerful those jobs to formulate ideas definitely no I think you're right yeah So, Miles, we're very excited about where you're headed because you're such a great artist and and anything you do will be good. Thanks. Yeah, anything yes. you do will be good. All right. Do you have any? Do you have any ideas about what that will be? Or are you just really kind of getting through these commissions? Then in thinking terms about? of uh, in terms of like art, um, I had like a few ideas for series that I wanted to do because I'm a huge motorcycle fan. I love MotoGP racing, and I, mm. I like love motorcycles. Oh. Um, so I wanted to do a series of but it's it, it would be like, I, you know, it's kind of something I'm kind of fuss, uh, fussing with 
just because it is a sport like motorcycles or any artwork of motorcycles it's kind of relegated to this sort of like fanboy artwork mm -hmm. which but in your style it looks well so I was gonna say cool. you know it, it like uh, um, presents a nice challenge right how do how do, how do you navigate that like how do you take a series to a higher degree mm -hmm. than just like what a fanboy work or something so that's one series that I, I've been really wanting to do for years and then another one is I wanted I, I had this series that I wanted to do and I would have called it American Epics mm -hmm. and I just found like I would kind of be going back on my belief of I just don't like working from photo references and I don't like Google references because usually chances are if you Google that subject matter and then you draw from it, someone's going to be like, oh, I know that Google yeah, photo, right? That photo, yeah. So there's like this weird aspect to it. But for that American epics, there are just so many photos that I've seen um, for like events pertaining to crowds that I think are just these crazy, chaotic, wonderful um, compositions. Like one that I found was a guy blocking a baseball bat in the crowds and there's like a kid eating a hot dog. He's like sitting there like so fucking oblivious. Yeah. And there's this huge dude just blocking a bat flying like 200 miles an hour at this kid's face. And it's just right there across his forearm and everyone else is like ducking or like throwing popcorn or whatever. And it's, I was like, wow, this is like a total renaissance or like, you know, French academic sort of epic painting like a Delacroix or, you know, whatever, Jericho or however you say his name. Um, and then I found this other one. It's not, you know, it's kind of like morbid and maybe there's ethical things about it. But in uh, when that guy plowed through the crowd, was it in uh, North Carolina? Is that where that happened for the white supremacist um, demonstration? Oh, the Charlottesville? Is Charlottesville. That, uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, I found a photo of that car going through the crowd and there's like all these bodies flying mm. over the hood of the car. And again, I'm like, this is... If I'm to detach myself from what this picture represents, I'm like, this is an awesome photograph. Mm -hmm. um, and I just started finding photographs like this, and I, and I was like, you know, there's like an interesting element to it about what defines contemporary, like Americano, just Americans. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, there's a lot of like weird stuff that goes on um, dealing with just crazy sports and like the drama that happen, unfolds in the stands. Uh -huh. or like the drama of our political state and I'm not necessarily sure they're all intertwined in any way but I thought you know just that American epic series is something that I was have been thinking about for a while too. and you seem um, pretty excited about it and it is so relevant like we're so affected by the the spray of imagery. We're yeah, seeing. definitely, and definitely. We're seeing tragedy and heroism. Just the two images you described, and it's all like in this fast milieu and kind of pouring over them. I think when Maria was on the podcast, Maria Crane, she was talking about sort of access to those imagery, and she uses a lot of them. You know, like yeah, really. I think it's. Uh, I think they're so powerful and evocative, and you you would make them your own. We had an Instagram. Actually, this reminds me. Someone recently actually gave us a good question on Instagram, which was like, "I want to hear artists talking about developing series," because she is having a really hard time developing a series. And I was thinking that is so fascinating, and I think Miles, you did yeah. handle it really well. You know, with 
Liberace and all that, but I, I think we should address her question as much as possible, just kind of like... I think he sort of answered it. Uh-huh. I'm just no flagging I mean, it for her. Miles okay. probably like, draw an apple every day for like, you know, like, like whatever, a few months, and Keep that would be fascinating. No, and that would be fascinating. And, then, <laughs> and, and, like, like, and you would make it like your own and gorgeous. Maybe, maybe for a brief moment, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I don't know, yeah, I think the... Coming up with the series, I think there's like a real craft in an end and of itself, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why like these ideas I will sit on for years and not do anything about. And hopefully there's like the right moment in time with the right people around you, the right like emotional state or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. just like fucking just do it, you know, like you can only you can only go through it in your mind so many times to like identify what you're going to do visualize the whole completed piece the whole series at a certain point you just have to like pull the trigger and just do it and right. move and then move on uh-huh. you know hopefully um, and i but, think there is room for improvement even though we've been talking about being pretty prepared like a chess game like when you're in the middle or even at the beginning of working on a body of work like it'll end up in a different direction yeah, yeah. there's a lot of improvement yeah you have go. to know when to let go of that control and yeah let the work like trust that the work will also be a beacon for you to guide you a little bit mm-hmm. you know? yeah for sure um, if you could kind of go back to, you know, let's, let's say, that, you know, you have a time machine or whatever. If you could go back to yourself when you're, let's say, just finishing grad school mm-hmm. um, and have a conference, have a drink with that person, uh, what would you, you know, like, what would you tell yourself? What would you tell that, that, that Miles? Because right now it's, it's a very different Miles now. One Miles would be like, dump her right away. <laughs> Don't spend any more time with that one. <laughs> Um, I, I almost want to answer that in the worst way possible and just be like, stay at Coons, work overtime every day, pay off your student loans. Cause when you're 34, they'll be gone. You know, I'll be telling my 24 year old self or whatever. I'll be like in mm-hmm. 10 years, if you work hard, don't have fun, don't do anything, just work, 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 pay off your student loans. That's like, I think. That's not a very good answer, huh. but that's, I think, what I would tell myself. But it does like, go into how important it is. I mean, even at the stake of your own per- personal work, just plow through this thing and come out on the other side with a little freedom and not so under um, the yeah, gun. Yeah, and, and it actually, like, so I, I, I also did exactly, like, the advice that you, you know, like, mm-hmm. the advice you're giving yourself. I, like, I organically am so, I guess, like, financially conservative that I basically, like, I mean, I think I was coming out with probably a little bit less loans than everyone else, but, um, like, I spent a few years not having any fun and working a whole bunch and, like, commuting between Boston and New York to work, but I guess I did pay off my student loans a few years later, and whatever, like, it it gave me the freedom to make different life decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, in a way, it's kind of like, but I'm not sure it's worth 10 years of your life. It might be worth, like, three or four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That that would be the like pragmatic. Is there like a non-pragmatic where you know like you're just oh like, yeah just, like, non okay non-pragmatic it, I would that? say I would tell myself to take more photos like you know really like enjoy life and take more photos because like I don't have very many photos of like my friends and my family and of like important mm. moments and things and now getting a little bit not old but older I'm I'm like looking back and I'm like where did all that time go like 
I know I had fun. I met all these incredible people, and I'm like, they're just all memories in my head. And sometimes I do wish I had like an external memory, like a mm. hard drive of, or just photos. I don't know. I would say take. So you more kind photos. of wish you like documented yeah. things better, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I wish you take some photos here. Uh, yeah, I guess before we I feel like you guys actually took photos when, when Kim was the host, and the second I started being uh, the host, I was like, ah, who cares about this? Well, Maz, this has been amazing. I, yeah. I've really enjoyed this one, and oh, we're yeah, such fans of you, so thanks yeah. for coming by. Oh, this no, thanks great. for having me. I really well, appreciate it, guys. Thank you for listening to the Arc Rhyme podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Also, we're on Instagram at Arc Grime Podcast. You can leave comments on the thread or DM us there. We usually see them. Also, Facebook, we're at Arc Grime Podcast. You can uh, leave comments, future questions for our guests and such there. Our website is www.at artgrindpodcast.com definitely go there for the beautiful images that we post off the artist and don't be shy to donate us money so we could buy some really good booze for the guests <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone bye, bye.